Well, hello and welcome to the latest Forever Blue podcast. Um, I'm Ian Cheeseman and as ever, this is a podcast dedicated to Manchester City, uh, the club I've certainly supported all my life. And I talk regularly to former players and former managers and I have the Forever Blue squad usually around me and we discuss all things Manchester City. Tonight's going to be slightly different, but it's not going to be different in terms of sponsorship. Howard Solicitors, who are based in Stockport, Ashton and Cheshire, are our sponsors, for which I'm very, very grateful. They specialise in family law, so if you're going through a separation or you're having problems with access to your children or with social services, give them a call. Their number is 0161 872 You can email law at howardsolicitors.com or go on their website, howardsolicitors.com. And even though they're based in the northwest of England, and I know a lot of people listen to the podcast from other parts of the world even, if you have an issue and you're on, you want some just general advice, go on the website, give them an email, and they'll try and help you, especially if you mention that you heard about them on the Forever Blue podcast. So, that said, uh, normally I've got three or four people with me, and tonight I've got, I don't know, it must be about 20 people. Can you prove that you're here by giving me a cheer? <laughs> and the here, where we are, is actually at Berry Supporters Club, the official supporters club based in Berry. Now, I know there are supporters clubs dotted around the world. Um, I mean, I've been to some of them um, and Zoomed some of them. People like the Houston Space Citizens and New York. Uh, I've been there a couple of times. Um, and even Australia, Melbourne and Sydney and places like that. So we've got supporters clubs all over the place. And this is just like one of those supporters clubs. But of course, it's relatively close to the Etihad. And it's in the Manchester area, Bury. Um, so before I open the floor up and get people to talk to me, I'm going to ask the chairman of this branch to introduce himself and just tell us a little bit about, you know, how a supporters club works, what you do, you know, what's the reason you get together. So you are? Hi, my name's Warren. So I'm the chairman of, uh, of Berry Supporters Club. Um, we've got a committee, fellow committee with us today. Um, we basically are a 70, 70 member strong club on average. Um, we, uh, we meet every, every month. So usually last Thursday in the month, and we have discussions about various things. So it's there's it, twofold really. It's a social aspect, but it's also very much so people can get together, plan trips, plan tickets, uh, discuss uh, certain issues down at uh, Manchester City, and obviously they just share our love for the club. Um, what we like to do is get together and, and get speakers down like yourself. So it's a great privilege for us to have you down today, and we're all really chuffed that you've come down. It's something new. It's a first for a supporters club. So uh, we're looking forward to discussing various subjects with you. I mean, you've been around for a little while, and I know Stephen, who comes on our podcast, uh, and I've been to so many supporters club branches down the years, probably before COVID, 10 a season, I'd say, for about 30 years. So I've been everywhere and all over the place. So I get how it's been in the past. And I would suggest it's probably been easier to get guests and certainly relevant modern guests in the past than it is now. And so is it a bit of a struggle now to bring in people who will talk to you? Um, I wouldn't say it's a struggle. I think for us, it's, it's planning it at the right time because what we don't want to do is uh, saturate it with guests and then obviously members aren't coming. So we want to get a good turnout. Um, and we've, we've had that. I mean, obviously, if you look at the last supporters club meeting we had with a guest, that was Brian Horton. 
that was really successful. So we did a book signing. We had a great turnout, um, some really good discussion and some really good Q&As. Um, before that, we've had you know quite a lot of other people come down. Dennis Stewart's been down. And, and that's what we want to do. And we want to try and build that. So our aim throughout the season is to try and aim for about three to four speakers and make it interesting. So we're not just coming down to just to, you know, share, share an agenda and then it's, that's it, you know, we're done. We want to make it meaningful um, and obviously entice more members down to the club. We're getting sort of current players down. I mean, I hosted the Junior Blues for 10, 15 years mm. and we used to have a first team or maybe even two first team players down uh, once a month or, or whatever. And when I went to the branches, I was often sat there with... Uh, no, it might be Gary Cook when he was chief executive or it might be Edin Dzeko sat on the table with uh, collar off or something like that. But that type of thing doesn't tend to happen these days, does it? It doesn't, no. And it, Yeah, I fully understand where you're coming from with that. I mean, players are less and less accessible, aren't they? And I think that's just the nature of the game and the way it's gone. I think for us, there's a lot of history here, um, a lot of people with a lot of experience with supporting Manchester City. So to get some of the uh, ex-players down and the older players, that is still you know, really fruitful for us and, and really meaningful. Um, yeah, it'd be great to have some of the youth down. We've talked about that, some of the some of the youth team players, some of the future prospects in Manchester City, but we need to tap into that. And obviously we're working with that with Kevin and the, and the wider supporters club. Obviously we've got those contacts and we'll try and uh, develop those. And these are delirious times really, aren't they? You know, City are on the crest of the biggest wave we've ever been on. So, certainly are, and, and, and my son's here tonight, and, and to be honest, he doesn't know any bad times for Manchester City, he only knows the good times, and we try and explain them over the years of what we've had to put up with, but um, it's fantastic, and, it, and it's great to be around, and long may it continue. Absolutely, well, there's the chairman, um, now we've heard that there's a lot of people in the room here, a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, I said to the guests that were on that particular week, I said, I'm not going to have an agenda today I'm going to let you dictate the agenda and that's what I propose to do today but you know I've got the option of jumping in or steering you if I think you're in the a direction that's uh, that's boring me frankly um, so we'll, we'll go in a different direction if we have to but uh, you can go wherever you want so tell me who you are when you start and uh, and obviously it being radio I can see an arm go up so tell me who you are and what uh, you want to talk about Hi Ian my name's Peter uh, I in recent Games, there's been a lot of controversy over VAR, whether it's City or another. Before that, we had retrospective punishment. And I feel, I'm at the latter ages of me now watching football, I'm 60, so I've seen a fair bit of football. Do you think, well, the question is, do you think they'll drop VAR and bring something else in? Because I feel it's there to be debated for your Gary Linekers and your TV crews, because... They're just not getting it right, are they? I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. Well, more importantly than what my thoughts are, what are your thoughts? I mean, is it, does it put you off? Does it, has it changed your experience well, then? certainly from a celebration point of view, tech the other night, we won 7-0. I felt, I thought they were going to send a City player off at first because it seemed eternity. You're talking if, about the Edison incident? Yeah, the, yeah. and... Um, I think I th no. I'm talking about the penalty that was given the first goal. The the player played on, which seemed about ten fifteen minutes, and then before you know it, he stopped the game. And I thought a player was going to get sent off, and sure enough, it was a pen. And then when you see the highlights, you think that's a bit soft. That, but then I'm thinking, do you think UEFA tried to even it out because the first leg? When we got a corner right at the end, 
he seemed to juggle the ball and it was handball and before you know it, the referee blew up and it was one each. But I don't know. I, I, to me, it spoilt the game. I preferred the referee to take charge and make the decisions as he's seen it, right or wrong. And I, 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 I don't know. I, I just think it spoiled the game, to be honest. Has anybody else got an opinion? I mean, while I'm walking over here, I'll, I'll come to you in a second. Um, what I would say is it certainly took the, uh, uh, the, that moment of euphoria when a goal goes in away from me. In the, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a particularly demonstrative person if you see me in the crowd. But now, when the goal goes in, I think, well, it could be ruled out this yet through a, through a VAR. And the moment when Raheem Sterling's goal was disallowed against... Tottenham. I mean, I know it, other goals have been the one that have been highlighted, but I jumped up from where I was, ran to my family who were nearby. We all went in a big group hug, practically crying in each other's arms. I then went back to my seat and only then did it go to VAR and then we were, it was took away from us. So it sort of taught me, don't celebrate. And I, and I find it difficult to celebrate now. But what, what's your thoughts? Hello, Ian. My name's Ken. I've no problem with VAR as it is. My problem is with the rules. I mean, offside, you can be a toenail offside. That is ridiculous. Ridiculous. If the offside rule was there should be daylight between the players, then fair enough, VAR would be very useful because those two lines would have a, separate, a separation. But the way it is now, there's no separation. You've just got two lines touching one another and, and you look and you think, well, why the offside? And they may have an elbow that's just an inch of an elbow that's sticking out. What the hell is that? Is offside? No, I'm sorry. I think VAR's fine if they use it properly. OK, so you obviously... I don't know if it's the same point you want to make, but... Yeah, it's, yeah, it's on there. But, yeah, I was going to say something similar. It's, I think there's some, probably some real changes that's needed around offsides, been a clear one. Um, not just for us, but other teams have sort of had goal shorts off. I think it was the Leicester player. It was clearly level against Tottenham. And it was, where's the advantage for the attacker gone? That's That's gone now. And if an attacker is trying to judge where he is in line with a defender to sort of say whether he's in an offside position, how can that be done with the naked eye? By a player on the pitch, and if the player on the pitch can't know whether he's in an offside position or not, how can how can anyone else? And I think obviously talks about the um, the penalty that was given the other night. It's yeah, how the rules around the handball. It, it all needs to be clear, and I think there has to be some real rules. And I don't think VAR is going to go away, but I think the Premier League and UEFA and and all these other organisations maybe need to speak to other sports that have had VAR in place for or similar methods for a longer period of time and how they've, how they've adapted and how they use that technology. These, these sports around the world that have used it for years and are still getting it wrong. And I think the Premier League needs to sort of catch up and actually learn lessons that other, te- other sports have already done. Interesting. And both of you talked about the offside rule in VAR and obviously there are other things it's used for, like the decision to, whether it's a foul or a penalty, which to me seem very subjective decisions that 
all that VAR does is it takes the decision away from the referee and gives it to a third party. It doesn't act, there is no actual dis, it can't, it's not right or wrong, it's just a different opinion, which seems bizarre. And the other thing, and I'm not, I'm not trying to steal your thunder because you know, nobody's put their hand up at the moment. If anybody else wants to talk about VAR, tell me, right? We've got one. But the other thing that bugs me is when I watch a game, I don't watch a lot of games on TV because I'm at every city game, so I watch neutral games on TV. And the number of times that even on television, you see a player charge forward. He's miles offside. You know he's offside. And I turn to my wife and my son who are watching it with me and I go, this is offside. And it carries on for another 15, 20 seconds. There's a shot, there's a save. It, it ricochets off to one side. And then the linesman puts his flag on. And you thought, every, everybody in the stadium, even me, miles away watching it on TV, knew that was going to be offside. And my wife said to me the other day, it's going to take somebody to get seriously injured and then they'll change the rule. Well, that's ridiculous, isn't it? But go on, sir. Hi, I'm Paul. Um, my issue isn't VAR, it's the people operating it. When you look, Old Trafford is a prime example in the derby. You've given that to somebody in the box at VAR who's never played the game. Rashford's clearly interfering with play. Edison sets himself. Goal. Overrule the linesman who correctly flagged for offside. So you think, why don't we utilise X players in the VAR box? And the other issue, the, like you say, the toenail offside. Just the physics of running. A player's running forwards, a player's running backwards. They are leaning in different directions. Well, your top half is always going to be offside. Ridiculous to me. And then the other one, probably a bit controversial, but one referee has been relieved of his duties recently, Lee Mason, because allegedly he didn't draw lines at Arsenal. To me, you don't get sacked, because let's face it, mutual consent is sacked by making one mistake. Is there something that hasn't come out yet? That's my view as to what's been going on behind the scenes. And we've all heard the rumours about City having the recording of the VAR official and the referee at the derby. So... Interesting times, I think. Well, obviously, that is a subject in, in terms of corruption that you might want to come on to, you know, because I've heard so many times now when things don't go the particular way that you think it should, whether it be specifically City or whether it be even another team or another match, that people say corruption comes into it. And my own point of view is that if there really is corruption in football, I don't want to go and watch a corrupt game. Um, so I have to believe, I have to believe that they are just inept or mistakes, it can't be corruption. Otherwise, why are we watching it? You know, that it's a sport. You know, it's got to be honest, hasn't it? Because we love it. Hiya, it's Warren again. Um, yeah, I just wanted to say regarding VAR, I think, yeah, it's got its issues. I think I'm gradually getting more used to it, I must admit. Just at the game the other night on, on, on Tuesday, um, the guy who sits a couple of seats down from me uh, with his daughters didn't celebrate a goal. I can't remember which one it was because he said he was waiting for VAR. And I thought, this is just ridiculous. That's you know, exactly what I said before. Yeah. And, I, I, you know, it was, it was very bizarre. I mean, for me, the only, the only technology that has worked is the goal line technology. That is 100%. So as soon as that goes over and you see it, everybody accepts it and there's no debate. It's just one way or the other. We're not there yet with VAR. And I think, like, you said, like people have already said, it's just another opinion. It's another interpretation. 
Personally, I think they should give it back to the referee. That's what football was about. It was about discussion points, it was about opinions. Decisions go against you, decisions go for you. But usually over the course of a season, they even out. Um, I don't think we're ever going to go back to that. I think it'll be more technology, more cameras, probably more referees sat up there making decisions, but we live in hope. Hi, and Peter again. I, I've, I'm of the opinion they've got a rule that they can manipulate the result, the outcome, and do whatever they want. So you're going down the corruption I, rabbit hole. I, 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 listen, I love football, and I just want things... Forget me blue glasses. I just want things to be fair and honest. If you look at the... I think it was Spain in the World Cup played... It was either Japan or, or Korea. And they started talking about the curvature of the ball. It had not gone out of line. They brought it back in and it was a goal. And to me, I, I don't know. They're making up the rules. Nothing's consistent, Ian. Do you get what I'm getting at? Having said that, and I don't want to, uh, uh, you know... I'm just putting the other side of the argument. Even before VAR came in, and um, we were watching the game with just the match officials. You were on the month, how many how many times were, were we watching games and saying, "Is it, well, not necessarily me, but people would be saying that referee's bent. You know, why did he not give that? You know, the game's corrupt. So the fact that VAR has come in, whilst I understand the point you're making that from a distance in a little room at Stockley Park or wherever they do it in Europe. That is, you could argue that's more open to corruption than than just the referee on the pitch. But, um, well, you know that that's the that, that's the other side of the argument. Well, I, I would like to think every referee's got integrity and he's honest. I know there's supposed to be some some sort of um, fa- listen. When everyone grows up, they follow a football club. So I assume every referee's got an allegiance to a club. We've talked about the guy that's just refereed the United and Southampton game. He sent off a South uh, a United player, and he's supposed to be a big red that lives in Altrincham. Fair play to him. Anthony Taylor. Yeah, that's right. And I, I loved the game. I've watched it all my life, and I'd like to think it's. Uh, there is some honesty and integrity with it all. But at the same time, I don't think if we didn't have it, it'd give you pundits and your TV crews nothing to talk about. Do you get what I mean? Oh, there's so, still yeah. plenty to talk Good about, I'm pretty sure of that. Um, is, uh, is anybody who's not spoken yet who wants to speak, by the way? Uh, not that I'm stopping you. Yeah, no, Andy, I'm, 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 I don't want to get involved in sort of the corruption topic, just like you say, for for sanity's purposes. And if the ref was going to get a decision wrong, you could have called that corrupt before they, uh, if it went against your team. And I think that's what every natural football fan does. But they uh, should be there to help the referees. And I think it's making it harder for them. And let's let's be honest, none of us really like them. But when the decision goes for you, you do, don't you? And it's and it's it's one of them. But yeah, I, I don't think I don't think there's corruption in football. But it's just it is it's it's making it worse, and we just need to fix it. When VAR was brought first brought in, it was promised that it was going to be for clear and obvious mistakes. That to me is simple. That's all it needs to be: clear and obvious. Let the referee, let the match officials look after the game uh, until there's a clear, clear and obvious mistake. Hey mate, Steve, I just think football hides behind VAR because cricket, rugby league, rugby union, 
you listen to the decisions being made and they're explained, whereas football doesn't. And until they start doing that, then I believe that corruption can still be in that. And the, but every other them other sports there, they they do get things wrong. But you can listen to their explanations. Ours are hiding behind something, and that's what worries me about corruption. And obviously, Mark Alsey's famous quote of a few years ago, where he said about spot fixing being rife in it, and he's an ex-referee who's only been not in the game ten years. If he's saying things like that, then there's something to worry about. I think. Mm. Well, it's, it's a subject that's bound to, to go on. Um, so let's go in a, in a different direction for, for a little bit now. We've covered VAR. Um, I mean, obviously, there's, the, there's loads of subjects you can talk about. So I, I'm, I could give you a few suggestions. But does anybody else want to introduce a subject before I introduce one? I'm not seeing any hands go up. So uh, obviously, the... Uh, oh, by the way, before we, we move on... If I was to ask you in this room now, and what are there about 30 people, 35 people here, something like that, um, who's in favour of VAR? Who was in favour of VAR before it came in? And who wants to get rid of it now? So let's, let's ask a few questions. Not very scientific. Were you in favour of VAR before it came in? Yeah. Yeah. And I would say that's two-thirds, maybe. Um, I, I'll declare I wasn't. I didn't want it at all. Um, now it's in, and you've seen it in action... Do you want it to continue on as it is? How many wants that? And I can't see a single arm up for that. Uh, one. Would you want it to continue? Well, actually, maybe I'll come to you in a second and ask you why. But um, would, if it was changed and it became, I don't know, less subjective, it's very hard to define that, and it was more about clear and obvious who would want it then? So that is not not it's it's still it's probably about fifty percent that. So I'll ask the gentleman who put his hand up, who seems to be quite happy with VAR. Perhaps you have a different opinion to what we've heard so far. Uh, hi, Ian. My name's Bill. Um, it's not that I'm happy with VAR. Uh, what I'm unhappy with is the fact that the rules keep changing, which makes VAR more and more complicated. The example we've been talking about with the handball. Uh, where it used to be quite simple, really. It used to be down to the referee to say, did you gain advantage and was it deliberate? And, and now they've tried to over-prescribe it to the point where it, it becomes impossible. It's like a lawyer trying to come, come up with a clause that can't be in, misinterpreted in any way, and they can't do it. I, I'll, I'll give you another example of that was brought up before that Rashford goal in the derby. Mm. At the time that, that goal went in, yes, of course, he interfered with play. We all know that. But if you looked at the absolute letter of the law as it stood at that moment, mm. that was a legitimate goal. They changed the law the following week, I think, so that that wouldn't happen again. So they changed the law mid-season, which is what really you're talking about, to stop sure. it happening again. They should change it back to give the referee much more discretion. They should make VAR great, as we've said, for goal line technology. It will be great when they manage to get Hawkeye-type stuff for offsides and it's instant and you know whether it's going to happen or not. We won't have all this fuss about linesmen keeping the flags down till, till whenever. That'll be fine. But we need to give more power to the on-field referee and we need to stop making rules that are so complicated that they can't get it right because the Rashford one, my view on that one was should have kicked him. And if he kicks him, then he would have fallen over but he'd given him offside. And 
what was wrong with that? You know, it's just for me. It's, Interesting. It's, yeah. Now, now another subject that I, I mean, I, I don't know how often you talk about it. This in your supporters club branch, but the charges that have been made by the Premier League against City, which um, I can't profess to know how this is going to all pan out. My instinct is that City will not be punished. Certainly not in the tabloid headliney way of relegated out of the football league or retrospective taking of all of the trophies away or anything like that um, but whether they're guilty or not I can't tell you uh, my guess is that they're not doing anything different than any other clubs really I'm sure they're all trying to push the rules bend the rules whatever what what's your opinion as as city fans are you anxious about it um, do, you, do you worry about, you know, City getting relegated or the trophy, you know, the, the 2012 title being taken away or, you know, anything like that? You, you just shook your head. So so what, what's your opinion? Oh, hi, I'm Joni. Um, I think, wasn't this rushed through in order that the government white paper wouldn't come into effect so that the Premier League could regulate themselves? So I think it's just um, an overreaction by the Premier League um, to delay something that they don't want to happen. That's probably true. And actually, I had uh, Sir Mark Hendrick as a guest on my podcast a couple of weeks ago, who is an MP, sitting MP, who explained exactly what you're talking about. But even if it was rushed through, the fact is that those charges stand and are being investigated. So even though they were rushed, are you at all anxious that, that this is going to go in a way that's bad for City and for our club? No. Because haven't the UEFA already brought those charges and they've been dismissed and counted out? Are they the same charges? I'm not absolutely sure, but I thought that they were. So uh, if that's the case, then what have we got to worry about? Because they didn't stand the last time. So you're pretty chilled about it? Yeah. OK, is anybody not chilled about it? Is the, is the, the feeling in this room that, that City are going to be, I don't know, exonerated, win the legal case, whatever it might be, or is there anybody that's anxious and fears what could happen. Nobody's saying anything, so I assume that means you're all nice and chilled and relaxed about it. Even though it's such a big subject, you know, that, that a lot of people in football... Do you ever talk about it in your supporters' club branch? Or has it just been dismissed straight away? Been dismissed straight away by the sounds of it. Um, let's get another view over here. All right, yeah, it's, it's on there. I'm not... Worried about the charges per se, like you say, as long as we get a fair hearing and nothing's being done that no other football club is sort of doing, then then I'm I'm sort of I'm fine with that element of it. But the reputational damage is something I'd be concerned about long term. It's the sort of Twitter mafia and all that. It's that's that's everywhere now and that reputational damage is never gonna go away, which it's it's very easy to sort of point fingers. When and but then to prove it is something different, and it's it's yeah, it's it's very serious charges. Which, as as the lady said over there, it's UEFA charged us, and then it was it was thrown out for for numerous reasons. Admittedly, other people have got some better better sort of understanding and can speak a little bit more eloquently about that. But yeah, it's it's the reputational damage that I'm more concerned about than the actual charges themselves. I should also point people towards um, a video that I put up on my YouTube channel, which I'm sure you'll find under my name or under a Forever Blue with Colin Savage, who is a, 
um, a bit of a whiz really and a, certainly a City fan on these financial matters so take a look at that if you've not already seen it a lot of people have seen it um, but you know what's your view on it? Well for me I'm not really that bothered if I'm being honest I mean I look at it let's say the worst case scenario happens and City get done I quite look forward to seeing Howland on a Tuesday night playing Stockport to be honest um, and you know Juventus have been through it Rangers have been through it and now they're back where they are. So, for me, there's an agenda against City. There always has been. I mean, the Champions League the other night, everyone's there booing it like we normally do. Is it going to make a difference? I don't think it is, really. I just think we get on with it. We take it on the chin, whatever it is, and we move on. Because there's always going to be an agenda, as far as I'm concerned. City being successful um, isn't palatable for certain individuals. And I don't know what the reasons are behind that. But I think as a club, I don't think it affects us at all, personally. And I hear where you're coming from in terms of Haaland playing at Stockport on a Tuesday night. But realistically, of course, if the worst happened to City, not just Haaland, but a lot of these big names would go, wouldn't they? Um, you know, we'd like to think that they'd stay, but it isn't like that in the real world. I think fans, we fans, when I'm looking around this room here and hoping everybody's going to nod, I'd still be there at Stockport. I'd still, you know, I'd still, because I was there at Stockport, you know, uh, in previous generations. So, but the club would massively, you know, have a big task on its end to, to get itself back to where it is now. See, uh, Peter, uh, Ian, uh, obviously Warren's got his opinion, I've got mine. We all know that the Champions League was set up in this country for the big so-called big three, big four or whatever, because they wanted more share of the money. And believe it or not, they wanted a breakaway and everything else. And I believe, personally, I, I really do, that I, I honestly think that the... the um, I've lost my train of thought now. I honestly believe that the... Uh, Are you talking about the, this, the cartel who control football? Yeah, but I, I, I still, I still think they need to. I don't know. Get rid of it. It's, uh, it's. It, I, I'm sorry. What I was alluding to was, I believe, and it does irritate me now that these charges have come against City. That it irritates me that we're being called cheats, and I'm not having that. At the end of the day, you've got clubs, Bristol, for instance welcome your cheating so-and-sos when we've just played them. They don't even know our history and so forth. And it does upset me. I, 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 I'm not having it. And if City do turn it around, I want to know. Because I, I look at City, the PR, they're not strong enough to keep these journalists away or, or, or people that talk out against them. The, 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 it's too nicey-nicey. I, I think they need to grow some balls and it would be interesting if they are found not guilty because let's have it right, there's a hundred and odd charges and I think some of them is the length of the grass or something stupid. So if some of them are proven, fine. But what sort of retribution are they going to demand back for the, the, the stress that we've all been put through? I think we have as fans. I really do. Hi, Ian. It's Paul again. Um, I'm going back to what um, Joni said earlier about it being rushed through. This is a four-year investigation and the Premier League have reissued the charges three times. 
because they were packed full of errors. Peter said about the length of the grass because they hadn't moved what the rule number was along. So no attention to detail. They've rushed it out because of the white paper. Is it any surprise there's only one club wants independent regulation? That's City, out of all the others. Straight off the back of that, FSG, Liverpool are no longer for sale because the Super League's back on the agenda. They want an American close shop, no relegation, no promotion. All of a sudden, you can't own two clubs and have the same interest in two clubs in the same competition. Qataris are in for Man United. Restrictions relaxed. Any surprises? Uh, not for me, but... I'm actually going to ask a question which follows on from this, talking about Super League and the direction of football's going on in a minute, but uh, not until I've spoken to this young man. Hi, Ian. Thanks for that. Um, yeah, just going back to what uh, Pete was saying. Um, yeah, what is your name? Sorry, mate. My name's Chris. Um, just, yeah, just going back, young Chris. Uh, just going back to something along the lines of what Pete has just been talking about, basically not being strong enough with the, with the press and the media. I was so proud of Pep when he came out and gave that speech and basically saying, you've, you've made us all guilty before and anything else. you got the likes of TalkSport, Simon Jordan, he speaks absolute garbage. And I just, you know, I, I'm listening to him and I'm thinking, I just wish someone from, somebody from the club would ring him up and really put him in his place because that bloke is an irritant. Um, but I was so proud of Pep that, that day, that, that speech he gave, and I just thought, you know what, I'm happy with it. You know, just let him go. Just, just I hear what on. you're saying about, you know, standing up to the media. Um, I'm not, I don't work for the club. I have no connection to the club these days. I wish I had, but I don't. And I would say, looking from the outside, because obviously I see, I go to press conferences and I'm with journalists, um, and I, I actually understand how journalism works. They want to get the biggest audience they can. They want to attract it. So there's more appetite from listeners and people who want to knock City rather than those who want to support it. So um, as I've been driving here today, um, I've been listening to Martin Samuel, uh, ironically, on Talk Sport, who I know a lot of City fans really like because he calls it as it is, and I've got a lot of respect for him too. Uh, but he is relatively unusual, I would say, in the press. But my, what, the, the one thing I would say is that my guess is that why City don't come down harder on journalists is because uh, the owner, you know, Sheikh Mansur, and the whole way that they operate is all about dignity, is all about being humble, they're not, they're not, they don't come over when City win trophies and start making a big song and dance about it. Uh, other owners do do that, uh, but it just feels as if the whole project that they have brought over to City is all about trying to do it the right way. You know, we saw it, for example, um, uh, Cardiff, where, you know, the owner changed the shirts from red to blue. Whole City wanted to rename themselves Tigers. You know, there's been a few other things like that. Our owner... Um, didn't want to do that. He went to the fans and said, what do you want to do about the badge? I can't imagine for one millisecond that he would consider changing from sky blue to another colour of the shirt. And he's only been, to my knowledge, once to watch a game. I saw at the game uh, in mid midweek um, against uh, Leipzig in the Champions League, Caldoun come down, the, the chairman, and at the end of BT's broadcast, 
uh, Rio Ferdinand, Owen Hargreaves, Neda Manua, and a couple of others were all stood there, Jay Humphrey who was presenting. And when it went off air, and you wouldn't have seen this because I was waiting to doorstep Nadam when he'd finished to get him on my vlog. Um, but they were all, out came Khaldun. And, and his whole manner, his whole body language, everything he did was all about being a gentleman, about respecting people. It was a handshake. No matter what, what he's watched them say or do, it's all about respect. And I, for one, and, and I held Pep in the highest possible esteem. Um, I, you know, you might talk at some point, I don't know, I'm not putting words in your mouth here, but Jesus and Zinchenko go into Arsenal, which City have been criticised for, because if Arsenal win the league, we gave them two of the players that perhaps made it happen. But when you listen to Pep Guardiola talking and explaining, which I have done in press conferences, his whole modus operandus is... Um, I respect these two guys. They gave everything they had for City. They've become friends of mine. And so when they wanted to leave, I wouldn't stand in their way. And why would I stand in the way of going to whatever club they wanted to? Now, you might feel frustrated as a City fan and think, well, shouldn't have gone to Arsenal. Should have let him go somewhere else. But I actually quite like that respect and that dignity that the owners and the manager have. You may not. Um, so... If you've got an opinion on that, yeah, tell me. Um, the other, another direction we can go in, uh, you know, obviously there was the Super League um, that was that was broached, and we saw that collapse very very quickly, and there is now talk of something else like that. But what is at the moment on the table is that the Champions League after next season will completely change. It will be ten games instead of six before Christmas, five at home, five away. It'll be a league, as I understand it. So you'll play one, five teams at home and a different five away from home. The top eight in that league will go through to the last 16, I think it is. Uh, and the next 16 will go into a knockout round to get it, sort of like a round of 32, if you like, that gets them into the last 16. And only the bottom eight out of this 32 league will actually be eliminated from the Champions League, whether they go into the Europa League. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not a big fan of that either, getting, going from one competition to the other. But that, that's going to change. So I'm, I'm curious to know, because you're, you know, you're diehard blues. You wouldn't be here at Berry Supporters Club and you know, coming here every every month and, and going to games, etc. If you weren't like me, a diehard blue, would there ever be a breaking point if Super League actually did happen? When the new Champions League happens, will you go to less Champions League games? I, I mean, I know for me, I go to all the away games. It's going to be near impossible to afford to go to every single away Champions League game, having done that pretty much all my life. So maybe that will be my breaking point. I don't know yet, but would there be a breaking point when you would say, enough's enough, that's it? Or whatever happens, do you continue to go to games? So has anybody got an opinion on that, for example? Right, while I'm walking over here, I just have to talk and waffle and stuff so that there's no silence. But here we are. It's over to you, sir. All right, well, my name's Jason. I find that the Champions League's been diluted over the years from being a real event game you know, historically, when there was just the champions and then there was champions in second. So each game had a real quality about it and it was a real event, no matter whether it was obviously not City at the time involved, but whoever was involved, these games were a real event. As time's gone on now, it gets more and more diluted. 
the more and more lower quality teams get into it, and we're down to like the four out of a lot of these leagues now. And each group at the moment has a whipping boy that never gets through. And it's the same team from the same league that makes it through to the Champions League every year, gets whooped and's out. And I just think if they then increase the size of it again, they're just, they're just compounding that problem and it's just going to get worse. So, so the question was, would that... It, so do you go to all the Champions League home games at the moment? I do, but I do find some of them a bit of a bore. I've got to be honest. I, I, I find that some of the games I've not got as much interest in going. So when it goes to five as opposed to three, it's which increases costs and in mm. theory might even weaken some of the quality of some mm. of those games, are you going to be signing up for the cup scheme and going to all five? I find I signed up for the cup scheme to ensure that I can then get a ticket for the games I want to go at the end. You know, we, we, we opted out of the cup scheme one year and then we got Barcelona in one of the latter stages and I was fretting about getting a ticket then and didn't, I feel I had the same access to the tickets that I wanted. So you end up signing up for the Champions League to ensure that you get the games that you want to watch at the end and you almost have to endure the, the, the group games. And I understand that logic. Has anybody got a different view? Is anybody who, when there's five home games in the Champions League before Christmas, going to say, well, that's, and that's assuming that you go to the three now, that you go, well, that's breaking point for me. Um, I, I think I'll skip the Champions League or I'll just pick the odd one. Is anybody thinking that? Or in this room, are you all... Champions League signed up and will go even if it's five, if it's seven, if it's nine, you'll just go. Which is it? Just just go. Go. Nigel uh, might be a, a sign up for this, the cup scheme, but pick the games I want to go and the ones I don't want to go to. Resell my ticket again and do it that way. So you're not having all the outlay, at least you're getting a bit of money back and picking your games, but you still get the chance then, when the, the big games come up in the later rounds, you've still got your chance of your ticket. And it's, That seems to be a consensus then in this room. This is, the, the, obviously, depending on where you're listening to this podcast from, you might not be a match-going fan and you might be watching this game from a distance and it, it might not matter to you because it's just extra matches. Just like the World Cup. I mean, the World Cup today is been announced that it's going to be massively expanded. It's going to be over five, five and a half weeks rather than four weeks, uh, you know, and it's going to be over a hundred games. And personally, um, and as much as I love football, I ain't going to sit and watch 104 games. In fact, I probably only come in at like the quarterfinals or something. So all the rest of it is nonsense unless I actually... Um, can afford to and decide to go on a holiday and take in a couple of games because going to matches is always a little bit different for me. But sitting watching, as my son said, Switzerland against uh, Kenya or something in the uh, group stage don't really appeal to me, to be honest, with no disrespect to Switzerland and Kenya. Ian Peter again. It, it's funny, actually, because I subscribe to all the uh, cup schemes and I go to them all. I enjoy them all. I don't boo the Champions League or anything. I thoroughly enjoy it, but my friends at work, I value the League Cup, believe it or not, above the Champions League, and mainly because, one, I know where I'm going, two, I know I've got an idea what I'm going to spend, and I know I've not got a language problem. I went... Unless it's uh, it's, uh, Liverpool. (laughs) Yeah, unless... No, we went to uh, Portugal against um, Chelsea... Uh, last season in the Champions League. I think Chris had his flag confiscated. 
it was under the COVID period, as you know. I had a great trip and I thoroughly enjoyed it. But I've got to go back to the... Um, I think there's, there is a cartel. Like Paul said, I think uh, they, they want certain people to, to win that competition. The darlings, if you like. Um, and hopefully, after seeing that game on Tuesday, they might be coming round a bit. I don't know. I'd like to think they are, giving us that penalty anyway. <laughs> Interesting. I don't, I don't know if you're aware of this, and it, I don't know if it's been absolutely set in stone yet, but when this change happens to the Champions League, where there's 10 games before Christmas, rather than the six as there are now, there is talk that the teams who qualify for the Champions League will not actually enter the League Cup, or certainly the first team won't. So a bit like the Papa John's Trophy or... You know, the, the, the competition at the moment where cities under 21s might play Mansfield and Scunthorpe and teams like that, um, they will, the city will officially put in, and other teams in the Champions League will officially put in their under 21, so it will no longer be a first team fixture. And that also means that in theory, the League Cup could be on the same night as the Champions League night. So if you're thinking, I'm still going to go, it's the League Cup, it matters to me, you might not have the choice if you're going to go to the Champions League as well. Um, so that that presumably, so the League Cup could be a thing of the past in another year and a half from now. No, you're right. And and to to be fair, we won it what four times on the trot. So you're bored now, aren't no, you? No, I'm not. <laughs> Far from it. I was really disappointed. We filled the team that we did at Southampton, and uh, I felt we'd have give Newcastle a better game, um, and maybe United if we got all the way. But that's but. But United win the League Cup, suddenly it's the World Cup. And I can, I can, un, I can understand that, the, the stature of United. God, they've got 500 million fans around the world, haven't Start they? So, success, Peter. Yeah, they have, something. yeah. But, but Ian and I, um, I'll never boo City and I'll, I'll go to the Champions League games. I've decided, I think when Pep calls it a day, I'm going to call it a day. And the way TV is today, in any household, you can pick your games, you can watch what you want. And that's only from... I've followed City all my life, as you have. Um, from uh, My first cup final was against Wolves in 74. I've been to every Wembley appearance, apart from the Tottenham Covid final, out of principle, I refused to go. Mainly because us fans were being... We had to pay for tickets, and yet they give 10,000 tickets away to the NHS staff. What's that about? You know, that, that was at the time. And um, that's the only final I've missed. And hopefully we'll be arranging another one this season. But fingers, fingers crossed. I'm gonna, we're going to talk about the football in a minute or two. We're going to talk about the football much. So the end of this podcast will be dominated with opinions on the, the football, but I'll let the chairman, can't ignore the chairman, have the final word on this one. Yeah, th- thanks Ian, Warren again. I just wanted to come in on a point you, you picked up on earlier about uh, um, the cost of games. And I think what what this is doing, this model that they're coming up with, is it's pricing the real fans out of football. My son said to me a comment on, on Tuesday night when we were playing Leipzig, he said, you want us to lose, Dad, don't you? Because basically, you don't want to be going to an away game in the next next round and uh, and taking me with you because it's going to cost you a fortune. We were all laughing about it, but seriously, I was thinking, you know what, son? Yeah, you're probably right. Because at the end of the day, where do you stop? If you're now expanding these games, 
And as a fan, you're wanting to go and you're wanting to witness it and you're wanting to enjoy the experience. There's a cost of living crisis, apparently, but I can't see one because the ground's full and everyone's going everywhere. Um, but for me, there's a problem because you, you go to this next level and there's no point expanding the ground because you're not going to fill it. And that's just my personal opinion. Interesting, because I get to grounds, the ground, whether it be home or away, very, very early. So I'm walking around the ground three hours before, frankly, um, and the amount of people who I see on Champions League nights who are... Um, I don't mean this unkindly, because there's people listening to this podcast, there are City fans around the world who have the greatest respect for, who've never probably even attended a game. So I've got, not got a problem with that. But... It's not those types of fans. It's not the one... I met, met one at um, Crystal Palace, for example, who um, his friend introduced him, me to him and he said, he's from Los Angeles, this is his very first game. Nothing wrong with that. You know, and he was obviously a football fan, he was obviously a City fan. But I see people now at games who are doing it as a sort of tick in a bucket list or, you know, I want to say I've seen Haaland in, the, in the, the flesh or I want to put a picture, a few pictures on Instagram and whilst they wouldn't say it quite like this, to make all their mates uh, jealous that they've been to a game which the other people haven't been. And I see that so much at Champions League games. That is clearly part of the model that the club want. You know, they want tourists. Um, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story before I, we talk about the football, uh, which I may have said on the podcast before, so if you've heard it, my apologies. But I remember coming back, I, I remember when I worked at the BBC, I was covering ice hockey, and it was in Belfast, this uh, Belfast against Manchester Storm. And um, as I came back on the jet, from the plane, on the EasyJet plane, um, and the plane was, and it was, it was the game had been on a Friday night, and it was a Saturday morning when I was coming back, and United were at home. And uh, as I came in on the plane, practically everybody on that plane was a United fan. I'm sat next to a bloke and his son in a row of three. So me being me, I talked to them, you know, just because they're a... I mean, I hate United as much as anybody, but I'll talk to people as long as they're respectful and friendly. So I talked to them and, you know, oh, do you go to every a season ticket holders? Um, and the guy said, well, what we have is we have... Uh, two or three season tickets in the family. There are three or four brothers. Uh, we all have two or three kids each. So what we do at the beginning of the season is we have the fixture list and we go, right, I'm going to that one, that one, that one. You pick your four and then somebody else picks their four and they bring a different kid to every game. So when they get to Old Trafford, they go to the Red Cafe, they go in the superstore, they buy everything they can buy. Uh, you then go and sit in the game, watch the game, go back to Ireland. And then the next game, those two seats are occupied by different members of the family who do exactly the same routine. And, and I, I looked at that and I thought, you're the perfect fans that Manchester United want. But is that not really what we want now as a club? It, not, maybe not when I say we, I don't necessarily mean you and I, but is that not the model that the club wants that, you know, I, I saw them at the Leipzig game coming out with massive bags of stuff that they bought. I can't, I mean, I've got a, a sweatshirt on as I'm talking to you now, which my wife bought me for Christmas, but I haven't actually bought any merchandise for ages. So I'm the last person they want, aren't I? You know, they want, they want the 15 to... I actually had a, a tour recently at the ground. A uh, gentleman invited me along and it was in tribute to Colin Bell. You may have seen me waddle on the pitch with a number eight Bell shirt on the back uh, just before the game. And um, 
they took us on a tour and we met the people who designed the shirt every year. So they didn't show us next year's, although I'm sure everybody's already seen them because it's been leaked out there. But they, should, they explained why the Colin Bell, Bell shirt was why it was and everything like that. But one of the things that they said quite openly to us is that actually the shirt is designed, is aimed at 15 to 23-year-olds. So everybody above that um, isn't who we're aiming the shirt at. We know that older people will buy it, but basically the sort of wackier type of designs that they have. And, you know, you, you've seen one or two like that, and I think the third kit next year is going to be a bit like that. It's not aimed at you. They don't care what you think, really. Uh, they think that it, as long as a 16-year-old wants it, it's, it's the hip, it's the colours of this generation. They look at that, all that sort of thing. That's the direction we're going in. Now, whether that's right or wrong, that's not what I'm saying. I, I'm merely saying that's what's happening. It's up to you people to have an opinion on it. Has anybody got an opinion on that before we move into the football segment, so to speak? Oh, yeah. Yeah, go on. Hi, it's Ken again. Yeah, I, when I go to a match, I'll go and stand on the spiral at half-time and I watch all the little ones, the kids, six-year-old, seven, eight, nine, they've all got city tops on. Their parents have spent a fortune buying them and then they change them every year or twice a year or whatever. Three new shirts every season. And exactly. then a Chinese one, I think, there's been different training tops. Emily Pankhurst. I know that they wanted the men to wear the Emily Pankhurst shirt and it was only the Premier League that said they couldn't. Otherwise, you'd have seen City in the uh, women's shirt that they wore, the Emily Pankhurst memorial one. But my point is, if they want to have City fans growing up from the age of... <laughs> 18 months with some of them you see at the ground. If they want to have City fans coming along and growing up and being there when they're 65 or 77 like me, then surely the kids' shirts and what have you should be reasonably priced so that it encourages them to, to buy kids the, the new shirt and it encourages them to become City fans and it encourages them to stay City fans. Why do they have to charge so much for the children's clothes. That's my point. You know, I can understand what you're saying, that they want to make a fortune out of selling to the 16 to the 25s. Why charge the kids as much as they do? It's ridiculous. Well, as I understand it, and I, and I can't pretend to be an absolute expert on this, when the club does, a, any club, not just City, does a club with a kit manufacturer, um, basically the, the kit manufacturer pays them all these millions that they get uh, but then they have control over the shirts. They have control. They make the profit on every shirt that's sold, not the club. So the club doesn't make individual profit on a shirt. And in fact, I've even come across staff members who, when they need to have a shirt to present to somebody or to give somebody, they have to go and buy it from the shop. So another, you know, the, there might be a certain amount of shirts that, for example, that um, the manufacturer will contractually have to give to the club obviously for the use of the players, etc. But that there are still moments when they actually go and buy the shirt themselves um, because they have no control over it. It's like the food that, that's sold around the stadium. It's franchised out. You know, it's not, it's not City that, that put its staff there and, and ordering a load of hot dogs. Basically, they say, I, I can't even think of the name of the companies that do it, but let's say Joe Bloggs 
uh, pies are the ones who sell, uh, you know, have the franchise. Um, basically, Joe Bloggs franchi- uh, franchise has bought the rights for that stand in the ground, or those stands, uh, for, let's say, five million quid. I might be being naive saying that. And then after that, they set the price. They, they decide what the produce is, and they're the ones who make any profit that they can make of it with the idea of getting the five million back. You get into a very touchy subject now, as far as I'm concerned. We're in the northwest of England, right, where they brewed some of the best beer in the world. And when you go to the ground, you can only buy Japanese beer. What's that about? I just do not understand that. Well, maybe what I've just said explains it a little bit. Probably the Japanese company paid the most money to get the rights to do it. Now, in terms of this podcast, this audio podcast, we've not got a lot left, and there were a couple of people who said to me at the beginning, what are you going to talk about for an hour, and it's, hasn't it gone quick? So we haven't got a lot of time, but it does seem bizarre not to talk about football a little bit. I've given you the agenda, so to speak. But here we are now. Uh, we're recording this um, just for sort of declaration to everybody who's listening to it, we're recording this before City play against Burnley in the FA Cup, so I'm assuming that they win that. City are through to the Champions League last eight, but as we're here now, the draw hasn't been made. But looking ahead, City have just over got 11, 12 games to go in the Premier League, potentially three more opponents to win the Champions League. Hopefully, two more opponents and two trips to Wembley for the FA Cup. How does everybody feel? Is, is everybody thinking it's going to be three great trophies? City are going to be empty-handed? They're going to win one? What, what, what's the feeling? It's uh, Chris again. They're going to win them all. That's it, end of. Is that just bravado or no, do you really no, believe you, that? Listen, if you, if you don't believe, what's the point? We, I, I you pre- don't have to believe. You're not a player. No, I, you know, but we're there to watch them, aren't we? We've got to believe in them players. And if we don't believe, they're not going to believe. So, yeah, we're going to win all three. Simple as that. Has, has anybody got a different viewpoint on that? Has, uh, any points you want to make about the football at the moment? I mean, obviously, one of the, the, you know, the talking point this season has been Haaland. I mean, exceptional number of goals that he's scored. Um, and there have been some views that have suggested, we've had it on our podcast. In fact, I've probably suggested it to some extent, that playing, you know, with a... A fixation on trying to find Haaland and Haaland to score the goals has weakened City's overall um, way of playing. However, when they get seven against Leipzig and he scores five, that argument is somewhat dismissed. But um, I, I've certainly, you know, if I compare this season to last season, I felt that City were more threatening from everywhere last season than they are this season. And if I look at Arsenal as they are at the moment, I can see them almost replicating what we are doing. And if they win the league, they'll have done it the pep way, I would suggest. So has anybody got any views on that to to, to finish off this particular podcast? Yeah. Hang on, we've got the, the, you've been on loads, haven't you? You've been on almost as much as me. <laughs> Ian Peter again. Yeah, I, the, the style of play, I think we've got so many different styles. And uh, whether Pep knows what he wants, to be fair, but I, when I look at I look at players like Aki, for instance, he's been he's come on leaps and bounds. Jack Grealish, I was delighted with Jack Grealish against uh, Newcastle, absolutely fantastic. And he, I, 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 you're right. We might be distant, and I think we've been bitty this season. Certainly losing against. Um, 
Brentford before the, the World Cup and we've dropped point. What, to, what, what's annoying is that we murder teams, play a lot of sideways football. Knott's uh, Forest had one chance, Everton had one chance and so did Aston Villa. And yet they're six points straight away. And I, I, I'm, I'm more excited. Pep signed a, an extension to his contract and like I said before, as long as Pep's there, I'm carrying on for a few more seasons, hopefully. Everybody, let, let, let's, let me get a show of hands before I come to Andy again. Um, how many people in this room, the 30, 35 of you, think that City are going to win the Champions League this year? So that's, I would say that's probably a half or maybe just under a half of the room. Um, what about the Premier League? Who thinks City are going to win the Premier League this season? So there's actually more people confident of winning the Premier League this season than, than winning the Champions League, which is very interesting given that City are five points behind Arsenal, but obviously still with the game at the Etihad to come. And what about the FA Cup? Now, as I say, we're doing this before City play Vincent Company's Burnley. Feels to me as if there's going to be a meeting with United at Wembley somewhere, but um, if they're going to win... You reckon it'll be Fulham, dear? Well, as I say, remember, we're recording this before the weekend's FA Cup. Who thinks they're going to win the FA Cup? So, actually, there's a bigger feeling in this room that City are going to win the Premier League. Then the second most likely is the Champions League and the least likely, interesting, is the FA Cup. Whereas I'd probably put it the other way around. <laughs> but there you go. We all have different opinions, don't we? I... I Thanks very much for, for, for doing this. I really appreciate you having me here tonight. Um, I, I want to finish by going to the chairman again. Um, and, and, and basically, you started off by telling us about Berry Supporters Club and what you do here. Um, and I'm, I'm curious to know really what the future of Supporters Clubs is and, and whether, you know, they're as... as uh, relevant, um, you know, and, and, and accessible to people as they've always been, or, or is it changing? How would you sum that up? I think um, they're becoming more accessible just through the sheer numbers, really. Going through, um, we went to the AGM down at uh, to City, and obviously what they were saying now is there's 350 supporters clubs, 180 of them in this country. And what we're seeing, and certainly I talked to my friends who are in Ramsbottom, in Bolton branches, there are more branches you know, um, spiralling up. But from from our point of view, it's around what are we doing as a club? And this is something that we've talked about this year quite in depth. What do we want this club to be? What's it for? Now, we do things for charity. We've got Porch Box that we've had deliveries for tonight that we'll be dropping off, which is great. We're doing it from a social aspect. Some people are coming because they want to apply for tickets. But ultimately... If you look how many people are here tonight and the discussions that have been on, it's through the love of football and through the love of the club. And I think we need to try and nurture that and foster that and grow it. And we also need to look at the youth. If you look around the room, there's a certain demographic which there hasn't many young people here. And that's what we're trying to tap into. But you've got your social media aspects, you've got different, different things that we're talking about and we need to try and tap into that. But as far as we're all concerned... We love coming, we want to carry on with that, we want to try and expand it as much as we can, but we want to make it future-proofed. And that, obviously, when we stop coming, there's a new generation coming through, and that's the plan. And given the discussions that we've had tonight about the way that they attack shirt sales and, and the type of fans that they're attracting, 
Um, this isn't a loaded question. It's, I just want an honest answer from this, really. Uh, do you feel, uh, uh, certainly back in the old days when, dare I say, Peter Swales was in charge and the, the club was very different, they expended a lot of energy going round supporters' club branches in this country. I know they still do it abroad quite a lot. I mean, I've seen that the trophies have been on tour with Sean Wright Phillips in other countries and stuff like that. I just wonder what your feeling is as a branch as to whether the club, you think the club value you and support you as supporters' clubs uh, or whether they don't. And as I say, no agenda from me, just an honest answer. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be honest, from what I've seen in my time as chairman, I'd say that could be... Um, Let's say the relationship could be better. But I think there is a value to supporters clubs, but I think they've got the place and I think they've got the place within the club. The club is a business and that is very, very evident. And as you talked about before about United and the model and City and how they're looking to grow, I think for us, it's, um, you know, that, that, that is for us to challenge, but in the right way. And I think to have those conversations and that's what we want to try and do. So obviously touching base with Kevin, uh, Kevin Parker down at you know the supporters club, we want to try and have those open and honest conversations. What is the remit for supporters clubs in general? Not just Berry, but all of them. What is the plan? How, what are the relationships with the club? And it's not just about, you know, getting a few tickets here and there. It's about growing the fan base and filling the stadium when it's extended, taking City forward to the next level. Um, and that's, you know, I'm quite excited to look what the future holds, to be honest. Well, thanks very much for the invite to come and do this tonight. Obviously, if Abu Dhabi branch or New York branch or Melbourne branch want to fly me over, um, I will do one at your branch as well. Uh, but I don't think that's going to be happening in the near future. But I really appreciate you, you letting me do this. Um, and the other thing, of course, I just want to thank Howard Solicitors again, who are based in Stockport, Cheshire and Ashton. Uh, law at howardsolicitors.com or howardsolicitors.com is their website. Have a look at it. Um, if you've got any problems, it might be that, you know, you've got family issues or an argument over a fence or whatever it is. And I know that they're very supportive of people in these smaller claims, not just the, the big stuff. So uh, talk to them, they're good people, and tell them that you heard about them on the Forever Blue podcast. Um, I will be back, of course, the next game as we're recording. Well, the next game after this podcast is, is out will be the Liverpool game at the Etihad. Uh, I will be at that game as normal. Uh, I will be doing my match day vlog out and about. So if you see me, come and say hello. Be, feel free to contribute. Um, in the meantime, you know, have a look at some of the podcasts we've done in the past. There's plenty of variety of different things that we've done. But thanks very much. And um, just to prove again that we're here with a crowd in front of us, I thought it might be quite nice to finish with a bit of a, you know, a clap or something like that. But don't do it yet. Because there's one thing that I have to say at the end of every podcast, which I mean with, from the bottom of my heart. You know what? It's great to be a blue. Thanks for having me. <laughs>